Welcome to the Nimbus podcast. For websites, all the records and Spotify playlists, look below. Shall we go around and introduce ourselves quickly? Yep. Um, starting with Adrian, maybe? Adrian Farmer, here again, music director at Nimbus Records. Uh, I am Oliver Jones. I am the digital marketing apprentice here. And we are joined by... And I'm Vladimir Felsman, who plays piano on occasions. Indeed you do. Yeah, quite yeah. a lot at the moment. Yeah. Um, what have you been doing here at Nimbus Records? Well, we recorded with Andre on uh, all uh, Chopin mazurkas, uh, which is a canon of 51. Uh, mazurkas, actually, there are more written uh, very early in his life, but we, you know, follow the canon and it's 51 mazurkas which makes uh, two very big cities maybe 77 minutes long we somehow uh, did record it in two days and uh, it was fun always I enjoy coming here working with Adrian and we record I think last uh, eight years I was actually counting last night in my head I think it's 23 cities that we that we made. Yeah, not not bad for two aging men. Yeah. No, 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 I, no, no, no. I think I think we we, we we have some life in us yet. Yeah, and uh, actually I will be back in April uh, with very interesting, meaningful to me project at least, uh, which calls uh, Forgotten Russians. It will be solo piano music by seven Russian composers, absolutely first rate, but uh, which are not really known even in Russia, and most of the people uh, didn't, haven't heard about them, but uh, the quality of music is first rate, so I'm looking forward to doing it. That's great. Did you discover the composers yourself? No, I did not. I knew about them. It's not that I discovered them. Mm -hmm. uh, I just, you know, wanted to uh, bring uh, them back to life in in a manner of speaking because uh, as I already said the music is absolutely first rate and one of the reasons that they are not known that most of them it will be seven composers five of these composers never left Russia and uh, that partly could explain the reasons why they are not known even in Russia uh, say nothing about the West or in the United States because the fame for most Russian artists, writers, poets and musicians, composers, whatever you name it, came from outside. That was always the case and actually still is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Well let's let's start with the Bach because that's a direct connection to you, because you've recorded all of the music that is legitimate to record on a modern piano. Yeah, I oh, certainly oh. did. <laughs> yeah, that, that is also, what is that, 14 CDs? 16, 16 actually. CDs. 16, yeah. Because we have All some concertos good. as well. Yeah. That's right. And here with this release with, with Richard Lester, yeah. uh, we're starting on a project um, to record very much the same repertoire uh, as you recorded, but here on a modern harpsichord and organized as What recitals. means modern harpsichord? It's, it's a copy. It's not a, re oh, it's a replica. It's a replica, of, yeah. Of two manual with pedals exactly. with a whole nine yards, yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah, it's a modern replica. It's Richard's own piano, uh -huh. uh, own harpsichord. Uh -huh. um, and uh, he's embarking on this, organizing the repertoire into 
uh, groups, into recycled cities, exactly, into recycled so groups. The first one already was out with two cities with Goldberg, with Goldberg yes. among them, and now it's a mixture of solo repertoire. It's a wonderful, wonderful uh, repertoire. I mean, with Bach, you cannot go wrong. You can just play it badly, but the music itself. <laughs> what do you? Of course. What do you think? Is phenomenal. <laughs> This is a big question, and, and okay, I and, like big. Yeah, there, there there won't be a short answer. Especially Piano, harpsichord, Bach. To me, to me, uh, well, I admire so-called authentic uh, movement and approach of playing. You know, as we will talk later about Beethoven sonatas, which I played on fortepiano and uh, on period cello. Uh, with certain type of bow which was used in the first half of 19th century. However, playing Bach or any other music, Mozart, Beethoven, Schubert, you name it, on authentic instrument doesn't guarantee you good result or authenticity because authentic performance involves two things. One is actual playing and one is authentic public. And we cannot have that authentic public of 18th century because we are wired differently. So it's uh, authentic uh, approach is wonderful, but it has certain intrinsic illusion into it. We can flatter ourselves that yes, this is authentic Bach or authentic Beethoven because it's played on period instruments, but it's not quite that. To me, authenticity is in a musician who is doing it. If the connection to the uh, composer is direct and genuine, then it will be authentic. So, authentic uh, instrument does not guarantee authenticity, but those who play do. That that's that's a very good answer to the to the to the overall concept of how human beings can measure the idea of authenticity. When it comes to a more practical question, when you play Bach on the piano, are you, do you have in your head or your fingers the experience of Bach on a harpsichord? I do. So the color, the color uh, and articulation Absolutely of the instrument. Don't. There are certain, uh, not limitation, but there are certain uh, A, Bs and Cs a certain framework. First of all, uh, that that is an issue which I constantly trying to explain to my students who brings Bach uh, to me, which which uh, sometimes very painful experience for me to teach it. But the point is that you cannot bring romantic dynamics, crescendos and diminuendos and all of these blowing of the phrases in Bach for very simple reason. First of all, it doesn't need it. And then in, in harpsichord, as you know, the way you touch the key, uh, hard or soft, does not reflect on sound. It will be always the same volume of the sound. So expressiveness in playing Bach is not in dynamics, but in articulation and how you shape the the phrase in timing, in, the rhythm, in, yes, the yes, in many, many different things, but yes. not in dynamics as such. So, that are the basics. 
And when uh, anybody plays uh, Bach on piano, which I think works very well, if you know what you're doing, yeah. then uh, piano, I think, is a wonderful uh, venue for music of Bach. And if I may say so, it's absolutely, I cannot prove it because he's dead. And we never can ask him, but I think that he will be delighted to hear his music on piano, uh, knowing you know, how open he was to, you know, new instruments and uh, opportunity and options, and actually how much he transcribed his own music for different instruments. Yes. He was actually a very good businessman and yes. a frugal uh, composer yes. in that sense, yes. that he used and recycled his own uh, material very successfully. <laughs> is a limitation, a beautiful, but nonetheless, after all, Bach wasn't himself um, unaware of the expressive possibilities of crescendo and diminuendo. He had it in of the orchestra, course, he had it on the of organ. Course, of course. It, this was, yeah. you know, it was a naturally expressive part of mm -hmm. his music. Yeah. But you're saying, quite rightly, that a harpsichord you can't actually achieve those effects. There is a value in limitations, there, you, there is a value in discipline, and there is a beauty in discipline and limitations. So, uh, to like jumping to really metaphysical depths in our discussion, to me, freedom is an expression of discipline. And so, in that uh, sense, I think that uh, harpsichord Again, if it's a good harpsichord and the real master plays Bach with understanding what it is, what the rules are, what are the rhetorics of Bach music, what are procedures, all Baroque things, which comes with it, then there is no uh, downside in it at all. Right. Well, that's very interesting. Well, let, let me jump and say that actually... To me, uh, to me, and I talk about it many years ago with uh, Schnitke, who was a dear friend, and we agree on that. F there is, in certain sense, any practical uh, performance of, let's say, music of Bach or Beethoven will be not adequate because the real performance exists in composer's head as an ideal, and you can never match it. 
and I talked to Schnitke about that uh, in detail. So, in another words, talking about myself as one of the musicians who who are playing certain instrument, I can tell you that I can never ever match even in my best uh, performance what actually I have in mind and what I hear and that state of consciousness, state of mind, my inner state, whatever you call it, it's very misleading, all of it. But it's never quite matches. So the moment sound becomes manifest, it's already stepped down. To to me, those who can read music, those people who can read uh, music should absolutely listen with a score because that would enhance their pleasure in understanding tremendously. Not just hear it with your ears, but see it with your eyes, and that uh, combination, what is seeing and what is heard, would uh, double uh, the pleasure at least, because we can, uh, we can see what we hear, and we can hear what we see. <laughs> stuff uh, American very American first uh, I like actually Augusta Reed Thomas it's six preludes uh, which pays tribute to different composers to Luciano Berio to Bella Bartok Olivier Messiaen Pierre Boulez Morton Feldman great guy 
and David Rakowski. I don't know David Rakowski. Okay. So anyway, good, good, good stuff and very well played. And as you mentioned, it was recorded by Max Wilcox. Yeah, the great Max Wilcox, legendary guy. Well, legendary. I, I worked with him quite a bit, as you know. All of the recordings on uh, musical heritage was done with Mask. Right, Max, including. Uh, well-tempered clavier art of Hugh and, and so What do you so think, before we get on to this, yeah. it is a side note, but it's, yeah. Max is so interesting. What, what made him such a special guy to work with, particularly for piano? He had, uh, I do remember, because we, we recorded whatever we did, I think six, eight uh, CDs. It was in, God, in Harlem, uh, fine... Academy of Fine Letters or somewhere, yep. God yep. knows where. Academy it, of Arts and Music. Yeah, it, it was not a very safe place at the time to to be. You, you know, now it's absolutely fine, <laughs> but it was 25 years ago or so. So Max knew music, uh, knew uh, piano music, knew symphony music, knew operas. I mean, like encyclopedic knowledge, like walking encyclopedia. As a sound guy, he had very, t very simple two Neumann microphones, which he put like very much you do here. And it was meticulously calculated whatever uh, X amount of inches from piano on certain amount of height. And it didn't change. He recorded actually with Arthur Rubinstein later in his life. Same microphones, same there. Yeah. Piano was changing every two, three years. but. Yeah. Setup was absolutely the same. Then uh, Beethoven sonatas with Richard Good, same two microphones, Neumann, omnidirectional. And then uh, my humble self in that great company. So uh, he didn't change. Uh, so he found something that he, worked. He found something that uh, worked in that particular space. Yes. And he was very hesitant to move somewhere. Yeah, it yeah. was, it was his thing. It was that. like his living room, as you do. Yeah, yeah. You you know your stuff. He yeah. certainly did knew his, and it was fun working with him. He was very opinionated guy, and but in a, in a kind of friendly, intrusive way, intrusive but friendly, you know. And uh, actually, he gave me, as, as you do on occasion, maybe more often, uh, very useful tips, very good advices. I said, Valody, why wouldn't you? I don't think it's working here. It's too much of this or too much of that. So it was very, very uh, useful, and it was fun uh, working with him. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, and and Lynn Raleigh on this new yeah. recital says exactly the same thing. When yeah. he first approached me and said, would I consider putting this recording out and and uh, I, mm -hmm. I said what were the circumstances and he yeah, said well Max great. Max Wilcox recorded it and I said well then, well, yeah, yeah, then yeah, it'll yeah, be no, fine you know might, just send yeah. it to me I know I'll be happy automatically absolutely absolutely so it's a good repertoire so it's five uh, composers or what what is here yes you which one, two, three. you you, pick, you picked one out particularly and you said oh good guy mm -hmm. Oh, it's uh, Warrenen. I mean, that is a major, major composer. Uh, good stuff, not only for piano, but just one of one of uh, great composers. Actually, I heard some of uh, some of recordings. I don't think this one, which Peter Serkin is a great champion of his music. Uh, he commissioned him some work, and he played 
uh, some of his stuff. That's first rate, first rate. What's your experience with um, American music in particular? Very, very little, very little. Uh, I uh, admire Ives. I think that uh, perhaps maybe in my book, but you know, I am very kind of black and white guy. In certain sense, he was the only real genius in American music was Charles Ives. But of course, it was uh, uh, Griffiths and uh, many, many other people. Uh, but I've still, to me, uh, his Concord uh, Sonata, I think, is like ultimate masterpiece of 20th century, and his symphonies, and just very, very interesting guy. And his songs. His songs Fantastic. are phenomenal. Another personality uh, which uh, I think very authentic and important is John Cage. So these two guys... Why, Why is Cage important? He is important not only as a composer, but as a personality, as, as a way of looking. His approach to art, to creativity, like his personality, his character. Unfortunately, I met him like maybe six months before he passed away, very late in his life when I came here at 87. So he was not uh, in his best shape at that time already but his writings his uh, you know uh, interviews his music the whole thing uh, his involvement with uh, Zen Buddhism and so on his love for mushrooms just it's a fascinating uh, like molto simpatico personality in in my book I think that he was very important artist very important uh, person in American culture and in culture of the 20th century. Actually, changed things. He did change yeah. things, and Alfred Schnitke admired him very much. They Who also changed they, things. They never met, but he, he uh, yeah. thought that, well, uh, you go to America when it was clear that I would be leaving. I said, well, if you see Cage, just try to see Cage. Try to see John Cage, So which, which I did, but it was kind of... Meaningless. Nice to see you. Nice to and you know that that was it. And some party in New York. Do you ever imagine a, a moment when you will come to me and say you want to record, uh, a, a make an entire record of living composers? Would you be able to find enough that you feel connected to? I don't know. Yeah, have a, have a think about it. Might, might, might be interesting. I thought you were going to ask if uh, you'd ever play or have actually ever played a prepared piano piece by John Cage. 
Yes, I did. I did his water music in Russia. Actually, it was first time that uh, ever and some other other small stuff. But uh, I don't. I don't think that I would. Uh, I could f create a whole disc of John Cage music for uh, piano. I don't think so. But z there is plenty, plenty of good stuff. Actually, Alexey Lubimov a couple of years ago in Barishnikov Center. He did. I forgot it was written for a ballet, you know, uh, male ballet. His partner, John Cage, partner, what great ballet master. I forgot his name now. It's <laughs> my mind. Anyway, it was uh, like our 20 minutes non stop of piano music, which Lubimov played, and it was dancing. Uh, at the same time, so great. It's it's a it's a wonderful, powerful, powerful stuff. But I'm not I'm not sure that it's my cup of tea. But uh, it do, it doesn't matter. I don't have to play you know all great music. It's it, no nobody can can do that. But if you ask me about American music, I think that uh, Ives and Cage would be my two top picks. Now we'll continue this conversation over a glass yeah. of vodka. <laughs> or two. Prima, we just had oh, a Prima, listen yeah. to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Impressions? What did you think? Love it, uh, love it, absolutely <laughs> love it. Very authentic flavor of the time, which, I mean, I felt like I'm in some kind of joint <laughs> in the 30s, 40s, you know, with girls around, with good cigars, some good booze, <laughs> yeah. enjoying life and uh, kind of worry free. It's beautiful. Mm. After Dixie, pre Glenn Miller, yeah, Adrian? yeah, I would it's say it's kind of, yeah, stuck yeah. somewhere in the pre Glenn Miller. But era. it's very, very, actually, very pure, unpretentious uh, stuff, but yeah. uh, very pure in itself. So, mm. and singing and playing and uh, his trumpets, his skills are beyond reproach. Yeah. Absolute five yeah. stars. Yeah, <laughs> five it, stars. Is, it is. It's it's all it's the yeah. real deal. Yeah, yeah. it's a real yeah. deal. Yeah. You don't have to be particularly pompous about it. It's just good stuff. Um, yeah. Good to have. Yeah. Good to yeah. have. Yeah. And America's unique contribution to musical life in the mm. 20th century. Yes. One of my favorite things about the Louis Prima, and it's quite interesting listening to it after the Maelstrom thing, is that it's very evocative of what you described, you know, of that sort of like New York life. He came from an immigrant Italian family. And... Um, a lot of what he sings about is often uh, pasta restaurants that he went to visit that maybe his family members ran, going around being seedy in the bars that you described yeah, yeah, and things yeah, like yeah. that. And it's very interesting seeing two sort of different parts of an American. Also, also first disc was uh, was recorded in, during 1930s and the last one goes to 1950s. So yeah, he had a long life as a singer and uh, mm. trumpet player. Long career. 
Yeah, yes, indeed. Long, long career, and yeah. uh, there is certain evolution of style. No, it's uh, delightful. Baby, baby, it looks like it's gonna hail. Baby, baby, it looks like it's gonna hail. You better come inside, let me teach you how to jive and wheel. Beethoven on a copy of a an 1800 Walter uh, so one is yeah. a Mozart instrument and the later one on Graf which Beethoven actually used but according to Beethoven because he was I mean when he was playing because last 15 20 years because of his deafness he was playing less and less but it was no forte piano was strong enough for him and he was knowing known to break you know, strings and uh, just getting mad at Walter and so on. With Graf, it was almost the same. So it's a bigger and stronger instrument than yeah. than Walter. But you know, I can tell you from uh, my little experience because I played all Mozart sonatas and some other stuff. Uh, in uh, 2006 in New York, you have on, a you, on you own a Walter. Yeah, you own I a own Walter, Walter yourself. Yes. Paul, Paul McNulty. Uh, Built a fortepiano for me, which is copy of five octaves. Walter, uh, which is exactly the same yeah, instrument. Yeah, yeah, it's the here. same instrument, and I can tell you, you you just cannot play big on on that. It's not designed for that Listian, you know, uh, volume and intensity of sound. It's a wonderful <laughs> instrument, but you have to accept its abilities, what it can do and what it cannot do, and you cannot get something which it doesn't have. It's actually the same thing which I tell uh, my students which which are playing like, oh, this piano is terrible, or the, oh, I played there, it was t terrible piano. You never play against your instrument because it will never work. You get screwed if you do that. You play along with the instrument, even if it's not good, Try to get the best it can give, but you cannot get what it doesn't have. So, so do you same with Walter. Do you have a real sense when you're playing something like Beethoven, who of course demands no. enormous intensity on a Walter? Do you actually feel his I frustration? Wouldn't. I wouldn't. Yes, I absolutely uh, feel his uh, frustration. I wouldn't play Beethoven's sonatas on Walter. I would play it on Graf. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. There is, by the way exquisite recording of Alexei Lubimov, one of the greatest Russian musicians, in his 72 years old. Great musician who recorded a few years ago three last sonatas of Beethoven on Graf uh, fortepiano. Phenomenal recording and it works absolutely, it does. But again, you have to know 
your limitation where you go, what intensity is, but because sound is a relative entity, it's not absolute, it's like not absolute loud or absolute soft. You create your own, you know, soundscape. And if you know what you're doing, then playing Beethoven on graph, it's absolutely fine. On Walter, it's not strong enough, in my opinion. Even even for these earlier pieces, so some of these early sonatas come right from the, yeah, they're, but they're the very, pretty, very first pretty, pretty intense opus two. The first sonata F minor, it's pretty intense right. stuff, you know, last movement or whatever. It's uh, you know. So you 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 sense or it's your feeling that Beethoven was frustrated with the instrument right from the beginning because yeah, he's, he's writing rightly so rightly so because, because he's he, writing against the instrument a little bit it's not against he he just tried a certain uh, intensity and expressiveness of his music which was his own yeah. which uh, Walter Fortepiano cannot quite yeah. So he's pushing against Cannot, the boundaries. Cannot uh, quite respond, yeah. But with with Graf it was better, and then of right. course uh, after after that it was absolutely fine. But he but, already was dead. <laughs> yes, that's right. What it does do, what at least what it does for me, yeah. um, when you have a, a a period instrument, with particularly in chamber music, mm -hmm. is you solve immediately the one the problem balance. is Bal the absolutely you solve the balance You're and right. that for the piano is never loud. It's it never yeah. cover yeah. violin or cello or anything. So. And that is not yeah. only interesting to listen to in yeah. itself, but it actually helps you, particularly in my case as a recording engineer, to understand if you're going to record these things with modern instruments, you need to take care. Yeah. Because you can easily turn the balance to oh. something which doesn't represent Beethoven no, at all. Absolutely. With a massive eight foot long grand piano. So these 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 recordings for me, I understand everything yeah, yeah. you've said about yeah. how Beethoven must have been incredibly frustrated by the instruments at his disposal. But in chamber music it, it kind it of yeah, does some interesting it, things. It's a blessing. But also keep in mind that that recording, which is very good recording, the cello is also period. It's not that strong a cello right. now because right. of the gut strings right. and all of that and bow yeah. and so on. Yeah. So the whole thing is uh, five, six steps down in volume. Yes, yes, not, so yes. not in intensity, but in volume. So yeah. basically, if you have a strong cellist playing on modern good cello, which is not modern, I mean, I'm talking about 18th century, Italian instrument, which is pretty powerful. So, in that sense, modern cello is more powerful than uh, Walter for the piano, and so piano, yeah, concert grand uh, style is really is a, you yeah. know could be can, can work monstrous. Yeah. 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 
Did you ha did you have music at any of your weddings? No. 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 None at all. Not even. Um, no, the first one was in uh, Saint Petersburg. Very informal, uh, short. I mean, few friends and with Hewong, uh, we got married after we lived together for ten years. It was just nice dinner for friends, maybe twelve, thirteen people. Mm. And they said, "No, no, no, music. What I will get married with? Pam, pam, pam. Jesus Christ! <laughs> I will, I will just." <laughs> Start laughing. <laughs> but it's a very, I don't know whether it's international, but certainly... It's international. It, Russia, everybody... Everybody has... Right, so the wedding march goes everywhere. That's, that's what Absolutely intended to be used in churches yeah. where there was no organ or no yeah, organist. Yeah, 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 yeah. But of course, in the 20 years since the, this record was first issued, the whole scene of weddings, partnerships, civil ceremonies, yeah. now going to town halls and other places has completely changed. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the, f the, the, the sense we have of it is that music is still in some ways no required. it's a first-rate music it's just yeah. has been used it's like yeah. you have few release a ringtone for your cell phone i mean but it doesn't take there are, anything yeah. there are some pieces of music yeah. i mean yeah. yeah there are some pieces of music that just automatically say wait yeah. yeah. and here is a collection of as many of them as we could fit Good. on now Well, it was great to talk to you guys. I'm <laughs> grateful for the opportunity. Looking forward to our next session. And I wish that uh, all of these recordings, which are great, will be bought by people and enjoyed. So, that, so that we can make more recordings. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's the whole idea, isn't it? You're, uh, you're going to go away now and listen to that traditional wedding music some more. <laughs> <laughs> We're actually going to go away and do a little bit more work on Chopin Mazurkas. Okay. <laughs>